0: Jim Rutherford wasn't kidding. He's going to make changes. He already made a bunch. And I wonder if there wasn't even more of an underlying message behind the ones yesterday. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. And this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio podcasting network, which set more Record. It sounds dramatic when you say it that way. Record numbers. We've only been doing this for a couple months now, but the past week has seen the biggest numbers we've had yet, and it just keeps climbing and climbing, and we're grateful for that. We're grateful for you in particular setting our podcasts to automatic download on your Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor, any platform that you choose Auto-download is definitely the way to go. Mark Reckie, Jacques Martin, and Sergei Gonchar were all sent packing yesterday by Rutherford. And I think that's worth underscoring. By Rutherford. In sports, a head coach, generally speaking, is responsible or at least involved in the hiring and firing of the people working under them. Not always, but a lot of the times. And rest assured that when assistant coaches are hired to replace these gentlemen, that Sullivan himself will be involved. And we don't have to guess at that. He acknowledged as much yesterday, saying that he expected right away to be working with Rutherford on building a new staff. I'm not going to lie, and I'm not going to play expert on what all could have gone into this. It's a weird time in reporting in that we're not in locker rooms or around these players, these coaches, these administrators the way we usually are and can just you know run into them in a hallway and pull them aside and ask some questions. But I will say that I foresaw only one of these. I foresaw Mark Recchi. If the power play wasn't going to come around, if the power play wasn't going to produce some kind of cohesive result, some chemistry, some imagination, Recchi wasn't going to make it. And he didn't. But when you throw in Martin, who's been a successful assistant in Pittsburgh by any stretch of the imagination, two-time champion, responsible primarily for the penalty killing, which was always good in his time in Pittsburgh, as well as rotating the defenseman on the bench during games. Also never really an issue. That one kind of throws me. He's 67, but... If you're Jim Rutherford and you're into your 70s, you're not basing, hiring, and firing on ageism, for sure. Martin's kind of a quieter guy, he, but he also has extensive head coaching history on his resume. And when he spoke, he was going to be heard. So that one, yeah. And then comes Gonchar who is closest on the team with, you know who, Evgeny Malkin. They've known each other, obviously, since their playing days. They are great friends and family friends off the ice. And Gonchar was, of course, very, very respected by the players following his career, which... Some feel is worthy of the Hall of Fame. Of course, Recchi himself is in the Hall of Fame. So this wasn't going to be one of those situations where you could explain it away by, oh, it's an insurrection, or the players were tuning them out or not listening to them. I mean, who wouldn't listen to somebody who scored all the goals that Recchi did? Who wouldn't listen to somebody who put up all the points from the back end? A defenseman really ahead of his time, Gonchar with his emphasis on mobility and moving the puck, who wouldn't listen to those guys? Who wouldn't listen to Jacques Martin? So there's something else that's at play here. It's not as simple as saying, well, the players need to hear new voices. The voice they're going to hear next season It's still going to be the same one principally. It's still going to be Sullivan. He's the one who booms through the rink, no matter who they bring in. And I know fans still have this love affair with Rick Tockett and see him as a guy who was getting in people's faces and so forth. That's actually not what he was like at all as an assistant coach. It might be what he's like in Phoenix now, but it's not what he was like in Pittsburgh. He very much deferred to Mike Sullivan, and he'd be the first to tell you that. So it's still going to be about Sullivan. It's still going to be about what's heard. So what ends up coming next, to me, is going to be very telling. Because Jim Rutherford, to keep repeating this, made these moves to see and hear and to feel Sullivan in that Zoom call. Yesterday, with this announcement having come out, coincidentally or not, right before that Zoom call with reporters, he was emotional. This was not something he wanted to do. This was not, in any way, shape, or form, a case of Sullivan saying, Man, I could use some new help around here, Jim. That's not what happened. If you go back to Sullivan's hiring, and I am not talking about when he was head coach. I'm talking about when he was hired. He was brought in, if you'll recall, under Mike Johnston, when it already was clear to a lot of people, not least of which was the team's leadership inside the locker room. And I'm not guessing at that because that's back when I could go in there and find stuff like this out. They kind of had a feeling that Mike Johnston was in over his head. So Mike Sullivan was brought in to be Wilkes-Barre's head coach. And he comes into, it was development camp first. And I remember not only thinking this at the time, but writing about it. He was impressive, watching him out there with these rookies, and he was really taking charge. This guy wasn't there to just be a passenger. He wasn't there just to defer. That's not to suggest he was there to stab Mike Johnston in the back. I wouldn't believe that, even if someone had ever told me that. But he very clearly was head coach material. That's what John Tortorella said about him after more than a decade of the two of them working together. Couldn't believe that no one had hired Mike Sullivan to be a head coach. Said that publicly. So the Penguins, of course, didn't impress at all. This was in the fall of 2015. Mike Johnston was fired, and Sullivan was brought up from Wilkes-Barre, and the rest, of course, is history as they went on that same season to win the Stanley Cup in San Jose, then another the next year in Nashville. That's how this stuff works sometimes. If you go back through the history of the Penguins franchise, some of the boldest moves, some of the most successful moves that have been made from Craig Patrick onward have been those where people were hired to become potential successors. They've brought in really highly qualified, arguably overqualified people, and put them in certain positions where if the person over them fails or flops, falls on their face, they're available. They're right there in-house. This goes right back to Patrick hiring Scotty Bowman, Bob Johnson. Later on, Herb Brooks, Uh, The list goes on. The Penguins have done this forever. And Sullivan is actually one of those cases himself. So watch the hires. That's what I'm saying. If it looks like they're bringing in low-level guys right out of college that'll be yes-men and just happy to be in the NHL, I will be very surprised. I don't see that happening. I think you're going to see... Big-time NHL names brought in. Names that the players will instantly respect and follow and heed their instructions. Maybe it'll be someone. You know, one of the first names that popped to my head was Matt Cullen. Cullen's got family in Minnesota, but we've heard that before, and then he still ended up spending a whole winter and change in Pittsburgh. Maybe it'll be someone like him obviously can't be just him. But I also wouldn't be surprised to see someone who is an experienced NHL head coach, someone in the Gerard Gallant mode who's out there and still available remarkably, who would be brought in and say, hey, this guy's here not so much as a co-coach, he's still an assistant coach, he's here to help, but he's here. Just throwing that out there. That'll make more sense to me and make more sense of what's happened these last 48 hours than anything else that I've thought of. When we come back, I'm going to switch up a little bit to baseball, but not Pirates. Wait for it. Stanley Cup playoffs continue up in the respective bubbles in Canada, in Toronto and Edmonton. And by all accounts, they're doing extremely well as it relates to containing the coronavirus issue. There have been zero positive tests reported by the league in either bubble. There have been no known incidents. And remember, there aren't very many real reporters up there. So we don't know what would or wouldn't get hidden. But there have been no known incidents of players sneaking out of either bubble, breaking some rules, uh, getting into some kind of trouble. So the NHL is going to hear all kinds of praise and all kinds of uh, you know, congratulations. I mean, I was hearing that and reading that. A day or two into this, like, way to go, NHL, you did it. There's a long way to go. The last possible date of the Stanley Cup final is the first week of October. (laughs) Let's hang on and see how it goes. Because there are other challenges that come with these bubbles. Not least of which is, players might want to get out of them. Jim Rutherford was really surprised by this when he spoke the other day, actually threw up the possibility that maybe the penguins weren't as motivated as they needed to be in part because they really didn't feel like hanging around there for a couple months and not seeing their family and friends and girlfriends and whatever else. That's not me speculating on that. That's the hall of fame general manager. Like that came like out of nowhere. But if he's thinking about it, rest assured somebody brought it up with him. The NBA down in Orlando is now starting to open the bubble to family and friends. And watch out for what that means because on one hand, somebody had to suggest that or to ask for it, maybe plead for it, or else you were going to see some defections from the bubble. And on top of that, Now you have that many more people to manage as far as going in and out of the facilities that the NBA is using down there. Which brings me to baseball. Everyone's ripping baseball. Everyone's saying, oh, baseball, they're the only ones that messed this up. Don't do it like baseball. Baseball's just been a disaster. And honestly, I'm getting tired of hearing that. Baseball-faced... The greatest logistical challenge to date of all of these sports. A. Baseball had to go first when it came to playing games. Baseball did go first. Baseball has managed that as well as anyone could possibly have conceived. B. The players themselves said they weren't interested in a bubble. And during those incredibly contentious negotiations that were going on and got all this heavy reporting all summer long, it seems to have gotten left out by people that it was the players who insisted, were adamant about playing games in their home stadiums and traveling just like it's a normal season. The players wanted that. So Major League Baseball had to adjust to that in order to have games at all. See, it actually hasn't been that bad. The Marlins were idiots early on. Something happened with the Marlins, whether you believe the story that they went partying one night in Atlanta or whatever. And then on top of that, they lied. They held back information. Don Mattingly, the manager, all the way up to Derek Jeter, the owner. They really messed up a lot of things. I felt like they should have been punished harshly for it. They weren't. But they're back. They're playing. They're actually playing really well. Surprisingly well. And then comes the curious case of the Cardinals. There's a story that floats out there that they were in some kind of casino. My friend Derek Gould, the longtime beat writer at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, did some digging and found out that actually wasn't true at all. But something obviously happened with the Cardinals, that it's worked its way through the clubhouse once, and then again when it looked like the Cardinals were going to come back and face the Pirates this week, they got bagged again. Something went wrong. John Mazeliak, the general manager out there, was quoted by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch as saying that he feels there's a lot of good that can come from what happened with both the Marlins and the Cardinals because they were the first two teams that were afflicted by this. Other teams have learned lessons. Major League Baseball, as an entity, didn't duck either of these cases. Major League Baseball ordered each team to take an MLB-hired, I guess you could call it a truant officer, compliance officer, security, whatever it is you want to label it. People who just make sure that the team is behaving. When they're in a hotel on the road, make sure they don't leave. You know, simple as that. If you leave, at least they're going to be aware of it, and they'll know who to tell. Baseball went first. Baseball had to learn this the hard way. Baseball, ever since putting in this truant officer, compliance officer, hasn't had any issues. Teams that have conducted themselves well, like the Pirates have, haven't had any issues, at least not since the very, very beginnings when everybody just reported to the initial camp. And really, there wasn't anything the Pirates could do before that. They've managed it well. Most teams, almost all teams have managed it well. Major League Baseball has managed it well. And it's actually taken the neat form, I think, of a culture of awareness and accountability. And that was on display this week, I thought, very powerfully with the Cleveland Indians. Getting upset, and rightly so, about two of their pitchers, Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger, brazenly breaking team rules to just take off, to just leave. They didn't care what the ramifications would be. They didn't care what it would do to their teammates or their teammates' families. They didn't care about Carlos Carrasco, the, the reliever who uh, became a celebrated cancer survivor last year and who, by most epidemiologists' definitions would be at the greatest danger should he be somebody that gets hit by the coronavirus. This is what one of their teammates had to say about this, and I want you to listen to this carefully. They heard us back. Uh, they lied to us. They um, sat here in, in front of you guys and, and publicly said things that they didn't follow through on, and um, it's, it's going to be up to them. Uh, it it really is. And, um, you know, I'll let them sit here and tell you how they're going to earn their trust back. Um, I don't need to put words in their mouths, Uh, you know, the term that I continue to hear and excuse my language is grown ass man. Right. So those grown ass men can sit here and tell you guys what happened and tell you guys, um, what they're going to do to fix it. And I don't, I don't need to do that for them. That was Adam Plutko of the Indians ripping Into his teammates. And he was not alone. Francisco Lindor, the truly great shortstop that Cleveland has, would chime in with much the same. Terry Francona, the new Brighton native who's their manager, said it's going to take a lot of work for those two to reestablish the trust that they had, past tense, with the Indians and within that clubhouse. That, for lack of a better term, is healthy. That's life right now in 2020. We're expecting that of each other. I'd rather hear and read stories like that than I would about leagues locking up players and now their families inside bubbles. I'd rather hear about players within a team concept Supporting each other, raising their expectations of each other. And just like any family, when something goes wrong, making sure they address it as vocally and directly as possible. I think that's a good thing. I am going to continue applauding Major League Baseball first and foremost for how they have handled this pandemic way more than I am the NBA for hiding inside a hotel in Orlando, and the NHL for fleeing the country. Believe you me, when it comes time for the NFL to kick off, they won't be looking to the bubble sports, for examples. They'll be looking to Major League Baseball, because baseball has done it right. Baseball has done it best. When we come back, a little bit of football. This is going to suck. No renegade. (laughs) That's not me talking. That's Vince Williams. My man Vince on Twitter. Out of nowhere. Like almost everything he puts up on social media. Just pontificating right out of the clouds about what it'll be like for the Steelers defense to take the field at Heinz in a critical moment and not here. The plea for mama being in fear of my life from the long arm of the law or whatever else it is that Tommy of sticks saying there. Players love that song. The players love that atmosphere. And man, are they going to miss it. Maybe more than in any sport. This segment of Daily Shots is always brought to you by the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in Western Pennsylvania are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought. And now with the pandemic going on, the need for food is that much greater. If you are in need of food assistance or if you'd just like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell the first three words out. Don't abbreviate anything. Pittsburghfoodbank.org. 1 dollar is all it takes to provide enough food for up to 5 meals. The weirdness of no crowds and no noise and everything else is one thing to encounter in baseball. They've they've found I think a, a decent enough way to get through that with that canned baseball murmur for lack of a better way to describe that sound uh, there's always a as you walk into a off a concourse into a baseball setting into the seating area uh, there's always a I don't know if buzz is the right word unless it's a certain point of the game but everybody's talking everybody's sharing something it's it's not dead silence and that's the sound they've really nailed hockey's having a Lot rougher time when it comes to crowd noise because of the significant delay, in particular with reactions to goals being scored. Same goes for the announcers, who, by the way, aren't there. The announcers are sitting somewhere, you know, eight, nine states away in their living room watching a TV. Doc Emmerich's doing the same thing. Doc's in Michigan. He didn't go to Canada. So you see a player score, you think they scored, their arms maybe go up, maybe don't. There's no crowd reaction. It always takes like two, three seconds, it seems. And even the greatest hockey announcer America's ever known can't have an appropriate reaction to it because that's the last thing he wants to do is yell out, He scores! When in fact it's just a glove save. So that part's been awkward. But football, that's something else. Football is the only sport out of the the big three we've got in Pittsburgh where the players play to the crowd, where, you know, whether it's TJ doing the big kick, uh, someone on the sidelines standing up and raising their arms to try to get the crowd into it, Uh, Or, for that matter, even the quarterback telling everybody to shut up. Pipe it down a little bit here. They need to hear my signals. The crowd is such a big, big part of the game in all sports, but I would put football at the top of that. The emotion that's inherent in the game. Uh, The passion following a violent play. All of that is so vital to what we see out there, and I can't help but picture that it's going to have an impact on the quality, on the physicality of the game. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe players will have had so much time in these isolated camp settings training inside like the Steelers are a 65,000-seat empty stadium every day, that it'll be so welcome to face an opponent anywhere, in their case September 14 in East Rutherford, New Jersey, against the Giants, which also will be empty. 80,000 empty seats there. Maybe they'll be so eager to face somebody else that they'll just want to beat somebody's brains in. Do you know what I mean? But I don't know. Between not having crowds and not and knowing that you're not going to have crowds for the regular season, but also not even having preseason games, there's never going to be a sense of any kind of buildup other than what's internal, what's in that locker room. And it's just not the same. It's not the same. Not in that sport. I'm in those rooms when those guys come off the field after a big win. The last thing they see and hear as they're coming off the field is you. As the Steelers pass through that one tunnel along the sideline that faces the press box, there's fans hanging over the railings. You know who you are if you've been down there. And they're not looking for autographs or things to sell on eBay. They're just sharing enthusiasm. They're sharing love. The players feel that. And they come into that locker room riding a high that cannot be manufactured, that cannot be replicated. And I love Vince to death. For bringing this up, because not everyone will. Everyone's going to be like, oh, you know, we're professionals. we got to go out there and do our jobs. And You're even going to have players, I've actually read a couple of them say this, where it's, it's going to make for smarter, more cohesive football because you'll be able to communicate a lot more clearly. Give me a break. That's being way too tactical for my tastes. And then you got Jerry Jones down in Dallas saying, we're just going to open a stadium up and have fans. Oh, Jerry, no you aren't. I'm sorry, dude. Believe it or not, you don't run the state of Texas. And the state of Texas is getting crushed right now by coronavirus, including the Arlington area where AT&T Stadium is located. And if he thinks that he's going to get away with allowing any number of people inside a stadium that can seat as many as 100,000, if you really jam them in there, he's more nuts than we ever thought he was. Football isn't going to have fans in 2020. I take zero joy in saying that. I really wish there was another way to do it. I wish there was a uniform way to say, all right, look, if we can put this many people in Giant Eagle, we can put this many people uh, in a bank or in an open market, and stadiums are, for the most part, outside or open air, or like Jerry was saying about his place, allows for the free flow of air in and out of the place because it's more sophisticated. I'd love it, but I don't see it happening, not in 2020. The NFL is going to have to figure out the same manufactured stuff that baseball and hockey have already had to go through. That's not fun, but just give me some football. Seriously, I'm not worried about what form it takes. When we get to the 11 o'clock hour today, we'll have our newest Pirates pod with Noah Hiles and Alex Stump who's out in Cincinnati for the Pirates taking on the Reds at 7:10 p.m., Trevor Williams taking the mound as the Pirates try to rebound from, uh, I can't call it a losing streak. really. They haven't even played for three days. So they're trying to rebound from doing nothing for three days. We'll see how that goes for them. Thanks so much for listening. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.